travellers, and welcome to You Should Have Been There. It's podcast 106 with me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. And today we're talking about good trips, bad trips. Yes, the influence of being under the influence of drugs on travel and tourism. We are looking at opportunities for travelling in the tyre tracks of uh, Jack Kerouac and in the footsteps of Hunter S. Thompson. Um, Mick, uh, first of all, are we going to include alcohol in this? Probably not. I think we'd need a very long uh, podcast indeed. Um, uh, I mean, I just remember that we were talking about Graham Greene's trip to Liberia in the uh, 1930s in a recent podcast. And uh, amongst the uh, the very heavy items that were taken uh, by his, I've got to say, by his porters, certainly not dragged along by his good self, um, were cases of scotch. So that obviously helped his um, his travelling and presumably his note-taking. Now, I'm just going to admit that the only drugs I'm on this morning are paracetamol, oh, and coffee, uh, because I have caught COVID. And I'm extremely annoyed by this because I've spent getting on for two years um, inside, trying not to catch it uh, while you've been... Um, Ah, rambling free around the world and appear not to have caught it. And now I've got it. So there we go. I don't know what that tells us about. Well, uh, it tells us that there is exactly no justice um, in the world because, uh, as you say, I've been traveling far and wide. And um, for some reason, I do not appear to have contracted the evil virus yet. And I know that I am speaking on behalf of the entire You Should Have Been There listenership when we say we hope you will feel better soon. Thanks very much. And uh, so do I, by the way. Now, as usual, we're going to start with a few matters arising from uh, last week's podcast. Jane Palavar liked the way we tweeted last week's podcast. The incredible shrinking baggage allowance and how to survive it. Surrealist artist Marcel Duchamp favoured two shirts, (laughs) one worn on top of the other, and a toothbrush. And that's all. And Jane responded with her own tweet, shrinking baggage that costs more. These airlines must make a fortune. I'd go with Turkish airlines all the way. Food, drinks, films, all included, no matter what you pay. All the British airlines, though, are money grabbing. All I got from EasyJet was a filthy tray I had to clean myself. Um, Is that a fair point, Simon? Are, Are British airlines more money grabbing than others? Uh, right. We have pretty much the lowest airfares of any country in the world, despite COVID and the way that uh, aviation has been hit. But one one way that they do it is, of course, by charging you for pretty much everything. I'm flying on um, uh, Wizz Air UK uh, tomorrow, indeed, to Lithuania. I paid £7. But of course, if I want to do anything like actually choose a seat, I will be paying a multiple of that. So clearly I'm not. And um, what has discussed in the programme, I'll be taking a piece of luggage about the size of a packet of crisps. Just on the subject, Jane, of filthy trays. Well, when I was a, a cleaner at Gatwick Airport, cleaning out planes, cleaning the trays was part of our, our profession. But things have changed since then, is all I can say. <laughs> I like Janice Ward's tweet, which was uh, in response to the Marcel Duchamp reference. Ha ha, and a portable urinal, no doubt, destined to be stowed in the overhead locker. Or indeed, if you haven't paid for hand baggage, then under the seat in front of you. 
old friend of You Should Have Been There, Rebecca Halpern, uh, followed up on her packing advice with a photo of three of the items she recommended. Um, You may recall that she uh, mentioned packing cubes. Um, There is no vacuum packing required, she says, but um, they do fit a lot in. And in her photo, it's a very fetching light green colour. (laughs) Um, She also talks about the cross-body bag, um, which uh, she says can go in the backpack if the gate staff insist. Um, That's that's blue, by the way. And Japanese puzzles for a break from those screens. And she recommends uh, Chiryoku, which is... Japanese brain training puzzles, a bit like Sudoku, but um, perhaps um, even more sophisticated, as Rebecca seems to be. And I'm just going to give a plug for Travel Scrabble, which is um, a very decent, portable, light kind of size. Although, again, it does, like playing cards, have the problem of um, uh, letters disappearing suddenly uh, halfway down the uh, aisle of the plane. Yes. Um, And off the subject of packing, um, but still very topical, uh, Innisfree1962 has kindly tweeted at You Should Have BT. Any news on when France, Spain and Portugal will get rid of their passenger locator and health forms? Uh, Well, France has pretty much done so. All you need is a sworn statement uh, to the ecology ministry that you haven't been anywhere near anybody with covid for a couple of weeks mick um, i'm i'm glad to say i haven't been anywhere near you so i would get in um spain has a uh, a health control form and portugal still has forms you you kind of i'm afraid everybody you just have to get used to the idea that probably you're going to have to fill in some data but that has now been ditched for coming back to the UK. So you can indeed um, uh, just um, uh, turn off your mind, relax and float downstream when you're coming back to the UK. Very good. That's a proper segue that um, I I would um, add some trippy music here, but I'm not sure we've got any free stuff to hand. I'll I'll have a look. Now, um, the influence of Uh, the importance of, indeed, the dangers of drugs for travel and travellers. It strikes me that the word trips um, has something to uh, say to us here, uh, because, after all, it's um, an essential part, both of serious drug experimentation um, and also of, uh, of travel. And I've looked up the the derivation of uh, trips in the sense of... uh, acid uh, trips, and apparently uh, the word was invented by U.S. military doctors researching LSD and its, uh, and its effects. Um, but uh, do drugs and travel go well together? Well, my thoughts are possibly not. I mean, if you're a conventional travel writer, then aside from um, questions of legality and dangers to your own health, you need to take a lot of notes and make a lot of observations about things that are actually there, if you see what I mean. Uh, like you really don't want a sort of bright orange dragon suddenly appearing when you wanted to have a tapas bar with an address and a telephone number that you wanted to recommend to people. Uh, quite. <laughs> well, sh- should we do true confessions here? Because I've never really been a, a an illegal drug user, but um, on the first sort of working trip that I did to Amsterdam, um, clearly where the, the coffee shop 
um, is really a thing of um, you know, part of the, the tourist uh, scene there. I thought I should try some, um, uh, uh, some, some space cake and it absolutely knocked me for six for about two or three days. And I couldn't find my way back to the hotel, let alone recommend it and tell people what the phone number was. So it was a, it was a disaster. Um, and I certainly haven't um, emulated anything like that since. Um, is there anything that you need to share with us for the purposes of um, transparency? Oh, well, I've been to Amsterdam as well. I, I, I went to the famous Milky Way, the Milky Veg Club and, uh, uh, saw a very fine um, band called Country Joe and the Fish. Yes. Uh, I, I certainly did, uh, uh, out of deference to the local culture, um, tried some of the cheaper smokes in the in the uh, in the coffee bars. Um, but uh, obviously, I didn't inhale. <laughs> Your Honour. <laughs> Uh, so, so yes, the Amsterdam coffee shops, which are now actually finding that they're getting increasingly many problems because of the smoking ah. laws, and uh, the, with everything, you know, everyone's so down on 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 smoking tobacco, on vaping, even clearly saying, "Oh, it's all right, it's a joint," um, uh, do- doesn't wash, I'm afraid. But there are more extravagant experiences that people go to. Mexico, or indeed to the Amazon rainforest to try. And there's a city called Iquitos in uh, Peru, which is in the Amazon basin. And you can only get to it by a plane or, um, or, or by boat. There aren't any roads to it. But it's become a bit of a center for um, ayahuasca experiences which uh, apparently is it's a, let's call it a mind-altering uh, substance, which is made from rainforest plants. Vines, I think, is there's a kind of vine which is the main ingredient. But um, you go, uh, you have to have a shaman with you to uh, guide you in this experience. I don't know quite uh, how many hundreds of dollars you pay for it, but apparently you sit around, take this stuff, and are cleansed and purged and probably very sick. And then you probably feel... Um, amazingly uh, better and different afterwards, or not. Maybe just glad to be out of there alive. Well, Mick, let me take you many thousands of miles east from there uh, to the Hippie Trail, which, of course, people were on a quest of self-enlightenment, but um, enlivened by a variety of uh, illicit substances. And even guidebooks would tell you about this. So, for example, Across Asia on the Cheap, which was the formative uh, Lonely Planet book, um, in the 19, I think, 79 edition, it says, um, if you are discreet with smaller amounts of marijuana, you are probably okay. And that was while you were in Afghanistan. Small busts, it says, can be bribed out of. And um, there was even talk, and I think this was in a different guidebook, um, that if you were, if you arrived and you didn't um, have any marijuana, then the border guards would certainly sell you some. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, I did know some people at, uh, at university who'd done this. I didn't do it myself. I was always more attracted to South America. But I remember that the people who'd been on the hippie trail all came back with Afghan coats and smelling of that sort of um, slightly odd. I didn't really like it very much. That kind of perfume, patchouli, it's called. Patchouli oil, yes. 
Of, of course, um, since then, Lonely Planet has has mellowed, and um, the the founder of uh, Lonely Planet, co-founder Tony Wheeler, with his uh, wife uh, Maureen, um, who I'm sure uh, were simply compiling guidebooks and passing on useful information. I actually caught up with him uh, in Melbourne when I was there a, a few weeks ago, and we discussed. Jack Kerouac, because this month it's 100 years since he was born. And Tony told me he's actually been on the Kerouac Tourism Trail in Lowell, Massachusetts. Jack Kerouac, great American writer, you know, still on the road all these years later. And you can go to his um, his hometown in just outside Boston. It's not very far at Lowell. It's not very far out of Boston at all. And when you get there, you go to a bunch of things. You go to um, his high school, you go to his, his um, house where he grew up. You know, I'm sure people knock on the door and say, does Jack still visit here occasionally? <laughs> you can go to his grave and people leave cigarettes on it because he's a keen smoker. And you can also go to the sort of memorial park for Jack Kerouac, which has um, these um, columns with quotes from various Jack Kerouac books. Um, it's quite a nice little park. So Lowell is definitely the uh, the town for Jack Kerouac. And then of course you go across the country to San Francisco and you go to City Lights Bookshop, North Beach, San Francisco, walking distance, just on the edge of Chinatown. And um, of course he hung out there a lot in his, in his day. Well, I think he's a great travel pioneer. Uh, Tony Wheeler was was sort of inventing his own um, uh, itinerary there because there isn't really any uh, any kind of Jack Kerouac other than the park, any kind of museum or anything. Uh, I was quite interested to see. Although apparently this year, 2022, a Kerouac Foundation is, um, is trying to set something up where you would be able to um, go and visit and um, find out a lot more about the... Um, uh, the great and controversial man. <laughs> of course, his greatest work on the road, which he apparently wrote, um, typed out on one single roll of paper. So that uh, <laughs> uh, is an interesting approach to, well, if you wanted to use it as a guidebook, I would I would caution you otherwise. But it is very enlightening. Of course, it be- begins really, we got to go and never stop going till we get there. Where are we going, man? I don't know, but we've got to go. Um, and and it, it it's often seen as a kind of hitchhiking Bible, um, but actually it's not. He wasn't very good at hitchhiking and he much preferred to be a driver on some combination of beer and benzodrine driving across America and actually picking up hitchhikers only so that he could get cash from them to pay either for fuel or for more beer or drugs. Um, having said that, he does very beautifully sum up uh, a lot of the the, the kind of drug scene in those uh, days shortly after the Second World War. Here we are, um, Los Angeles, uh, South Main Street, where Terry and I took strolls with hot dogs. It was a fantastic carnival of lights and wildness. Booted cops frisked people on practically every corner. The beatest characters in the country swarmed on the sidewalks, all of it under those soft Southern Californian stars that are lost in the brown halo of the huge desert encampment LA really is. You could smell tea, weed, I mean marijuana, floating in the air, together with the 
chili beans and beer. No, that's very good. But I wonder whether on the road or or um, Tom Wolfe's electric Kool-Aid acid test, sort of in a kind of similar kind of vein, really, or uh, my favourite, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter Thompson. Although they're kind of based on travel, quite frankly, I don't think you get a great deal out of following in their footsteps or or turning it into an, an interesting holiday experience because it's all about, well, the people they meet and mainly the people they take with them or the invented characters they've taken with them. Then you're not going to meet them again, are you? Uh, and indeed the drugs that they take uh, to, in, to enhance uh, the experience. Uh, uh, so I'm not sure that uh, they're, uh, they really count as travel books. Although, can I just mention Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Because I looked again at it and I, I thought it was about a, uh, a long um, road trip uh, down from the north of the United States down to Las Vegas. But actually, the driving part of it is very short, but it is absolutely hilarious, uh, involving Hunter Thompson or his alter ego as a, as a journalist. Um, and his travelling companion, who is his 300-pound Samoan attorney, uh, who is theoretically there to get him out of trouble with the police, but actually um, it breaks even more uh, narcotics laws than uh, Hunter Thompson himself. And this begins like this. Um, we were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. I remember saying something like, uh, I feel a bit lightheaded. Maybe you should drive. And suddenly there was a terrible roar all round us and the sky was full of what looked like huge bats, all swooping and screeching and diving around the car, which was going about 100 miles an hour with the top down to Las Vegas. And a voice was screaming, holy Jesus, what are these goddamn animals? <laughs> and then it was quiet again. My attorney had taken his shirt off and was pouring beer on his chest to facilitate the tanning process. <laughs> what the hell are you yelling about, he muttered. Well, there we are. You get the message of that one as well. Well, and, and uh, honourable mention, for, I think, for PJ O'Rourke, um, who very sadly recently left us and uh, memorably uh, wrote an article called How to Drive Fast on Drugs While Getting Your Wing Wang Squeezed and Not Spill Your Drink, um, in which it has the immortal line, most people like to drive on speed or cocaine with plenty of whiskey mixed in. This gives you the confidence you want and need for ploughing through red lights and passing trucks on the right. Do you think we should add the editorial note, this is satirical? Uh, yes, and, and do not try this at home. Yeah, or in a car either. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and Hunter Thompson, uh, on, in similar vein, uh, said, I hate to advocate drugs, alcohol, violence or insanity to anyone, but they've always worked for me. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of um, just trying to shock uh, the uh, bourgeois establishment, wasn't there, about uh, this kind of thing? There was, but the idea of having a rather spaced out journey across the US caught on in a commercial fashion, Mick. I, in the early 1980s, travelled on the green tortoise. Now, this was the kind of American magic bus, I guess, but it only went from coast to coast, New York to uh, to San Francisco. And the idea was it was a 1950s Greyhound bus with all the seats ripped out and mattresses put there instead for about uh, 25 hippies. 
and their uh, assorted um, stashes of uh, marijuana, mostly. Of course, I didn't have any having arrived from the UK, but it was quite a spectacle. And one thing I never understood was, given that um, uh, it was pretty obvious that this was just a hippie bus, we didn't actually get stopped by the highway patrol, um, who would have um, very easily have found um, uh, quite quite enough to, uh, to to keep them busy for four weeks after that. Um, Green Tortoise is still going, I believe, but I think it is uh, obviously drug-free, smoke-free, alcohol-free, um, and uh, all, all the other all the other restrictions which are very, very sensibly in place. Quite right. And we have managed so far to uh, not mention somewhere that most people's thoughts will have turned to, which is um, Colombia. Uh, now, of course, uh, the case of Pablo Escobar and um, and uh, uh, several other um, extremely unsavory uh, chaps have been well documented. But now, of course, you can go to um, um, brightly refurbished Medellin uh, and you can go on tourist trips basically to um, completely retrace the uh, career of of Pablo Escobar, starting in in the capital Bogota, <laughs> and then going to his um, famous uh, was it called La Hacienda, where he created a zoo, and then obviously into Medellin itself, where um, several uh, hiding places, um, bombed buildings, and all the rest of it, and indeed a museum uh, you you can be uh, visited, and you can um, sort of track his uh, his uh, career. Um, quite well. And there are plenty of tours that take advantage of that uh, tourist interest. And then there are other trips, which my son Alec told me about, because he went to Medellin and he he felt a little kind of queasy about going on one of these things, you know, where you went up into the uh, the former shanty town and found where it was that Pablo Escobar had uh, had recruited uh, 10-year-olds and taught them to um, uh, fire automatic weapons so that uh, they would uh, watch his back uh, and indeed carry out some extremely appalling murders as well. Uh, and instead, he went on one of the new trips which have been created, which is to show <laughs> how Medellin has turned the corner and is no longer in any way reliant on drugs and indeed is a shining beacon of uh, new life uh, and tourism to all of us. Well, let me take you um, back to the early 1980s when perhaps the cocaine business was at its uh, height and Charles Nickel, who is an absolutely excellent writer, and he was there in the early 1980s on a quest for the great cocaine story. And in his book, The Fruit Palace, he gives a wonderful account of, of being a kind of not, not directly involved with the, uh, the cocaine trade. But, you know, he was a he, he, he did a little bit of kind of round the edges um, translation and so on. And um, it, it, it's called The Fruit Palace because um, it, 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 there was a, quote, small whitewashed cafe a couple of blocks up from the waterfront in Santa Marta, which is, of course is on the uh, uh, Colombia's Caribbean coast. The wooden sign outside read El Palacio de las Frutas. And it is 
a brilliant journey through Colombia. Um, very entertaining, um, sometimes funny, sometimes very scary, but absolutely inspiring. And even though I had no interest in getting involved in the cocaine train, I it made me want to go too. Uh, Colombia, and indeed to the, that um, uh, street corner where the um, uh, Palacio de las Frutas is um, unfortunately uh, shut down. But I would urge you to uh, uh, maybe have a read of, of that, the Fruit Palace. Um, and it also contains some great travel lines. When he's talking about Colombia's railways, he says, there are no timetables, only rumours. Ah, yes, I think we know a bit about that in uh, South London, don't we? Um, I suppose (laughs) that the major source of inspiration for travels um, with a uh, drug-related theme has passed from the book, possibly, unfortunately, to um, uh, Netflix and the like, um, because those long-running series, some of which are absolutely wonderful, like uh, Breaking Bad, Ozark, uh, Narcos, uh, there's a new one actually called Somos, which in, in North, set in northern Mexico, which um, all tell, roughly speaking, the same same story, but set against very contrasting landscapes. And you kind of get to know those uh, reasonably well, don't you? Because there are so many episodes. And uh, Breaking Bad's uh, sort of desert uh, Albuquerque setting was particularly uh, fascinating. And I suppose uh, you could now get trips around it. Uh, You can. And of course, the beautiful scenes in Ozark have attracted a lot of people to that area south of uh, Chicago, even though um, most of those scenes were actually filmed across in Georgia, the US state, not the uh, former Soviet Republic. Is that that right? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, how interesting. It's a whole new slant on the post-truth society, isn't it? That that, that new cowboy film, um, very good, by the way, uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch batch in it called The Power of the Mm. Dog, uh, which is supposedly filmed in Montana, which I found incredibly um, attractive as a countryside, uh, was mainly filmed apparently in New Zealand. So there we go. (laughs) Uh, Yes, well, that's a whole new new podcast. But just before we end this one, can I just run through, hopefully, to help our lovely listeners not get into trouble for drugs which are perfectly legal here, but very not legal there. Um, and um, yeah. in particular, Middle Eastern countries, people have been imprisoned in the UAE. Yes, that means changing planes in Dubai or in Abu Dhabi if they have um, in their urine uh, things like um, timazepam, the sleeping pill, or codeine. Codeine, very, very unpopular in an awful lot of uh, places. And Japan is um, a, a country, I think, which has a very, very long list of medicines that you cannot uh, take in. Um, so, so Vic inhalers, for example, is on the <laughs> list of um, uh, medicines. You're joking. No, uh, and, and so anything that you need to take abroad, just be extremely cautious. And that includes even if you are simply changing planes somewhere. Well, that's very useful. Presumably my paracetamol would be generally um, welcomed the world over, though, of course, I wouldn't be being uh, uh, infectious uh, still, I'm quite sure. 
Yes, but but um, any any um, painkiller that with any element of, of of codeine in so for instance codeine, which is codeine and paracetamol, uh, you can kind of pretty much assume that anywhere in the world is not going to welcome you, and indeed might um, be very unwelcoming and um, and lock you up. You have been warned. Well, very good advice, Simon. Um, and I think you've got an idea for next week's podcast as well. Yes, and this is because, of course, there is a cost of living crisis. There's most definitely a cost of travel crisis. And my message is to people, basically, um, just just reduce your horizons and you can have just as good a time. And my claim is that your best holiday and your most expensive trip are separate they are there is no direct relationship whatsoever between how much you've spent on a particular journey and how much you've enjoyed it and we need your help please to let us know your best and your most expensive holiday um you can of course tweet us at you should have bt or you can leave us an audio message about your best and your most expensive trip at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. So please keep us informed and we will bring you the best next week. But for now, from me, Simon Calder. And from uh, me, Mick Webb, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.